All right. I always love when we start worship and I look out and there's like four of you in here and I'm going, oh, this is going to be just a few of us, you know, and then worship ends and I look out and it's like, oh, there you are. Hi. You guys are all out eating donuts and having conversation or something. Um, I am so grateful to get to gather with you and I hope you guys had a good Easter last weekend. I certainly did. It's, it's wonderful to get to gather together, although I know that we had two different services and so many of us didn't get a chance to see one another. But for me, Easter is not just the gathering together here. It was also kind of getting to be with family or, or those that we've kind of made family over the course of the last decades, um, getting to be together. And I really hope that you had a wonderful Easter. The, 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 the thing that really impacted me last weekend, and oftentimes it's like, oh, Pastor Eric, your message really spoke to me. It's like, well, it was speaking to me first, right? This is stuff I need to get as well. I feel like the song we just sang, No Longer a Slave to Fear, encapsulates the heart of what we talked about last week. I hope that what we just sang aren't just lyrics on a screen that you repeated because you've heard the song before. And you're singing, I hope that this has become your truth just as it's become my truth. We don't need to be slaves to fear any longer. We don't need to be slaves to the fear of rejection. We don't need to be slaves to the fear of abandonment. Todd and Jen Mertz, I love you guys. I'm so glad you're here. We don't need to be fear. Or we, don't not, we no longer need to be afraid of death. And this is good news for Merv's family, and this is good news for our church family, because this is somebody that we love that is no longer breathing in his body right now, but we know through faith that death doesn't get the last word. We don't have to be afraid of it, and so we don't have to live in fear of it any longer. Why? Because of the cross, we are now children of God. Our fundamental standing has changed, and that changes everything. So my prayer, and, and by the way, if you didn't get a chance to listen last week, or maybe if it didn't really take root, because quite honestly, your fear is so great that it just wasn't able to penetrate, maybe go back and listen. Because it's, it took me two services for, it really, for me to get it. So maybe go back and listen to that reminder that because of the empty tomb, we don't need to live in fear any longer because we are no longer estranged from God. What did God do when he sent Jesus onto the earth to walk towards the cross? He fundamentally changed our standing with him. He restored us back. There was a word that we talked about back um, in, in our Advent series leading into Christmas that has stuck with me and my whole family, and that is the word shalom, which typically we call peace, right? Shalom typically we think is an, ad, uh, an absence of conflict. So the, Jesus being the prince of peace, he got rid of all conflict. And then you look around and you go, oh, there's lots of conflict around. I don't have a whole lot of peace in my life. But when you look at what shalom really means, shalom is a restoration of what is broken. It's taking something that has gotten disconnected and reconnecting them. And Easter is the time that our God brought shalom into this world because he reconnected children who had been estranged from the Father and who identified themselves as failures and broken and separated prodigals. And he said, oh, no, 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 no. You are my son. You are my daughter. You are loved. Now come and rest in my love. We're no, we no longer need to be slaves to fear. Because of the prince of shalom, we are now children of God. And that is good news, is it not? Awesome. I'm so glad that this side is getting it. Or at least Diane. Way to represent for your side, Diane. Everybody gets a gold star because you're sitting around Diane. And Jackie. Well, of course. I mean, Jackie and Diane. Come on. Sisters. Um, but now what? Right Now that we are reminded that the tomb is empty, now that we are reminded that because of what Jesus did, we don't have to live in fear any longer, that our identity as sons and daughters of God is, is kind of established, now how shall we live? Because I want, I want to point out the fact that Jesus didn't just die to restore our connection to the Father. 
He gave his life to restore the purpose for which we are created. If all he died for was for us to be saved so that we wouldn't have to spend eternity apart from him, then the moment that we say yes to him, he could just zap us into heaven. And quite honestly, it would help alleviate a whole lot of headache, wouldn't it? But that's not what happens. In light of the cross, how do we live? How should we live? And, and the, the quick answer is, now we start living as children of God. We start living out of the fundamental truth that this song points to. We're no longer slaves to fear. We are children of God. So now, post-Easter, in light of that, let's start living as children of God. That sounds great, but how do you do that? How do we do that? Well, we can, we can follow our big brother Jesus' example. That would be an easy way of doing it. Another thing we can do is like, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to live out the heart of what the Bible suggests? Where do we start? Because for some of you, you've been following Jesus for longer than I've been alive. And I am just grateful to be covered in the dust of your example. Merv has left fingerprints on my life. I want to grow up to be like Merv. But, but there's so many others of you in here that I am, I am living off of your example. Byron, when I am sick, I want to still be willing to go serve. Tony, when, I, when my heart, when, when there's a question of whether I will even leave the hospital, I want to have a smile on my face like you did when your heart was threatening to end your life. And all you could think about was, I, if I get to go be with Jesus, yes! And if not, well, I'll keep loving people. Like that, I want that heart. Diane, I want, to, I want to grow up to be a prayer warrior like you. I mean, there's so many of you that I am, I am learning from, but there are others of us that are pretty new to this journey of following Jesus. Where do we start? How do we begin to let this begin to permeate our lives? What, out of all of the hundreds and hundreds of commandments, where should we start? Thankfully, we don't have to ask that question, or, or I, thankfully, I don't have to just kind of come up with an answer for you and hope it's right, because people asked Jesus that very question, and today, I want to look at the way he answered that question, so I want you to grab your Bible, and I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 22, and as we're, we're jumping into the, a gospel story kind of midstream, let me briefly paint the context for you so that, it, so that we kind of get our footing. This is towards the end of Jesus' ministry. This is in that week between Jesus coming and showing back up in Jerusalem and, and, and before the cross. And he, there, there's, there's a large amount of excitement going on, but there's also people who are looking at Jesus going, who is this guy? And what's his angle? And the people that were most skeptical of Jesus were the religious experts. The ones who made a living off of studying the scriptures and being able to split theological hairs. These were the ones that could have a theological argument with you about anything. If you want to know how many angels can sit on the head of a pin, let's have that argument right now. I've got 14 proof texts that I can use to make sure that I win and you lose. And these Pharisees began to look at Jesus as a pretender to the messianic title, as people were getting excited, as he was doing miracles, they began to become more and more resistant to him because they felt more and more like their authority was being challenged. And so into the midst of that, these Pharisees decide, hey, let's put Jesus to the test. Let's begin reading in verse 35 of Matthew 22. One of them, one of these Pharisees, an expert on the law, tested Jesus with this question. Rabbi, he said, which is the greatest commandment in the law? I mean, there's hundreds of them. Which is the most important? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. So you take all of the many hundreds of commandments that can be found throughout the Old Testament and you boil them down, Jesus says two. Love the Lord your God with all your everything, with every fiber of your being, and love your neighbor as yourself. And some of you might be going, hold on a second, I, I did basic math, that's two. Jesus, you failed the test. You were only supposed to give one, you gave two. 
But Jesus' point is that you can't separate these two. You can't separate loving God from loving your neighbor because they are like two sides of the same coin. And John, one of Jesus' disciples, the guy that wrote the Gospel of John that we looked at two years ago, the guy that wrote Revelation that we just looked at, John in 1 John 4, he gets this. And so this is what he writes. He writes, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or their sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. We know that this is the NIV version, which I love, and this is what I typically teach out of, but I love the way that Eugene Peterson articulates these, this very same verse in the message. Can we throw that up there? He says this, same verse. If anyone boasts, I love God, and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he's a liar. If, if he won't love the person he can see, how can he love the God he can't see? The command that we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. I think of my kids, right? Like, you can tell me, hey, Eric, I really respect you. I really, you know, think the world of you. But if you disrespect my kids, I'm sorry. How you treat my kids says more to me about how you feel about me than how you treat me. And the same thing goes for our God in heaven. How you treat his kids, his image bearers, the ones we rub shoulders with on a daily basis, the really hard ones, the ones that are hard-headed, the ones that voted differently than you, the ones that just won't shut up on social media. How you treat your neighbor reflects the way that you Love God and how you feel about him because those are still his kids, whether or not they're living as if they are. And we are called as sons and daughters of God, following the example of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, we are called to love our neighbors as an act of love and worship to our God. Even if that's tough, and it's tough. Trust me, it's hard for me. I can imagine it's also hard for you. Or maybe it's just me and I'm, this, is, this is me just confessing to you it's hard to love certain people in my life. But I would imagine that I'm in good company in here. So if we are called to love our neighbors, if we are called to not just rest in the hope that the empty tomb has for us, but to be ambassadors of that hope into a world that is increasingly bereft of that hope. I mean, there are people all around us who are miserable right now because their hope is found on CNN or Fox. Their hope is found on the stock market or how their cryptocurrency is doing. Sorry about that. Their hope is found in whatever the new, you know, whatever legislation is being passed or whether or not they can fight it, like this is where their hope is found or their hope is found in how their job is doing and how much money they've accumulated and how the stock market is doing. And however their hope is found, guys, we recognize that the things of this world are not only being shaken, they will get increasingly shaken. It's not, as we just studied through the book of Revelation, it's not going to get easier Wars and rumors of wars, the shaking of all things that can be shaken, it will continue to happen and it will get worse, not better. And if we find our hope, if we hang our hope on the things of this world, we are destined to be miserable, destined to be anxious constantly. And so as Christ followers, we remind ourselves our hope is in Him, not in our, our bank account. Our hope is in Him, not in what we've accumulated. Our hope is in Him, not how well our kids are doing or how, how many goals they scored in a game or whether they're going to get a, a, a ride somewhere or play professionally or something. Our hope is in Christ alone. 
but we are not only people who are called to rest in that hope, but to be ambassadors of that hope. So how do we do that? How do we live as children of God who, who now get to be ambassadors of the hope that we found because of Christ? Because I will reiterate something I've already said once, and I'm probably going to have to say it a couple more times today. Jesus didn't just die on the cross to restore, to bring shalom to our relationship with God. He died on the cross to restore or to bring shalom to the purpose for which we were created as image bearers of God. Namely, to be ambassadors of the hope that we found in Him. You prodigal, you were welcomed home. You were cleaned up, and now you get to go out to the other prodigals that are stumbling around in the darkness and say, hey, your father loves you too. Just come home. So how do we do that? How do we live as ambassadors of hope? Well, if you've grown up in the church, as I did, we, we tend to, to kind of answer that question, well, you got to go to church, and you got to invite your friends to come to church with you. That's how you do this, because they come to church, and then the pastor will tell them that they're okay, that they're loved or that, that God loves them whether or not they're lovable, that God loves them, and because of the cross, they can have shalom with God in the same way that you have shalom with God. That's how we always typically think about it. And I think that part of that is because we tend to think about church wrong. Now, those of you who have been part of Lighthouse for a, a, a year or two, you probably already know the answer to this question, so don't answer it for them. But when I say the word church... What automatically comes to mind? My guess is, if you're anything like me, when I say the word church, you think about a building in a specific geographical location. When you hear the word, today, you came to church, right? I came to church. When we say the word church, we tend to think about a building like this one or the 30 or 40 other buildings that are, are dedicated to being church space around Costa Mesa, and the people that gather in them, they, they're going to church. And so it's no wonder that we think about that. But that is actually a misunderstanding of what we mean when we're talking about the church. We're not talking about a building. And remember, every time you open up your Bible, unless you're reading it in the original languages, and I think there might be only two or three of you in here that do this, um, whenever you're reading a Bible in English, you are reading a translation the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, not in English. The New Testament was written in Greek and Aramaic, not English. So every time you pick up a Bible that you can read in English, you are reading a translation. And there have been a team of translators who have worked their tails off to try to make sense and to try to stay as close to the heart of what those original words said. But there are times when translated words will miss nuance or will give a suggestion that is far away from the true intent. And so take the word, I, 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 don't, I can't think of any word that brings, like skews it worse than the word church. There's 118 times that the word church comes up in the New Testament. Let me look at, let's look at two of them for a second. In Acts chapter 20, we read this. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Or take a look at Colossians 1.18. Jesus Christ is the head of the body, the church. Now, if you interpret church in both of those instances as a building in a specific geographical location, it's going to sound weird. Because how do you shepherd a building? And I can guarantee you Jesus did not bleed out on a cross to purchase a building. And Jesus is the head of a body. The church, you can't be, uh, the body of Christ is not a building, it's a people, right? The word that we translate church 118 times in the New Testament is the word ecclesia. And the word ecclesia is best translated as a congregation of believers. In fact, when William Tinsdale, who was a, a guy who, who felt like the Bible shouldn't just be for the priests, to be able to read in Latin and then tell all the people what they should believe. When William Tinsdale said, you know what? The people need access to the Bible, not just the religious elite. 
And so he set out to translate the Bible. When he came to the word ecclesia, he didn't pick the word church. The, the word church didn't even exist at the time, by the way, not in English. When he came to the word ecclesia, he used the word congregation, meaning a body of believers. The Catholic Church wasn't very happy about that because it really kind of began to, to work against their focus on building lots and lots of beautiful buildings, their building program. And so he caught a lot of heat for that decision. And I mean that quite literally. They burned him at the stake for doing that. And then when they finally said, no, maybe we should give the people access to the Bible, they chose a different word when they came to Ecclesia. They didn't choose congregation or community. In fact, they, there wasn't a single word in the English language that they could, they could use, so they had to go all the way to the German language and borrow a word, Kirch, which means house of worship. And they imported it into English, and they said, church, that will be our word, and it designates a house of worship. And so is it any wonder that when we talk about the church, we think about a building or a house of worship as opposed to a people who are the worshipers? And this colors everything. Because when we think about how do we evangelize people, how do we share our faith, our mind automatically goes to, I've got to get my unbelieving neighbors and my unbelieving family members and my unbelieving co-workers to come into a house of worship, into the church, so that they can have an encounter with God. And I would suggest to you that that is not the heart of the gospel at all. You and I are the church. We just happened to gather in a box once or twice a week. But we are the church. We don't go to church. We are the church. And getting this is imperative for us to understand what it means to live as sons and daughters of God and live out our faith. Because again, when we say yes to Jesus, he doesn't just zap us into heaven. Jesus didn't die on the cross just to restore our connection back to God. He died on the cross to restore us back to the purpose for which we were created, to be his ambassadors of hope. So how do we do this? If it's not about just getting people into the buildings, then what does it look like? This paradigm shift for me happened about three years ago. Up to that point, I'd grown up in the church. I always went to church. I, have, you know, I picked my church based upon where, where I, if I liked the worship music or based upon whether I liked the teaching, based upon whether, you know, there, you know when I was single, whether there might be dateable people there. Um, you know, you, you, there's lots of criteria you use to pick a church. But about three years ago, as we were going through this process, this is before COVID kind of corrupted everything in our world, um, we were going through this process called the missional pathway. Some of you remember doing this. It was a year-long process, and the missional pathway's purpose was to help us as a church community identify a mission for our church. What is the one thing that we are going to give ourselves towards for the next three years with the goal of advancing the kingdom of God into our community? What's the one thing? And on the very last day of this process, we were supposed to go out and do a prayer walk around the neighborhood, and then we were going to come back into the family room right across the street, and we were going to make our final decision of what that purpose was going to be. And I still had no clue, none whatsoever. So as I leave the family room and I begin to walk down Magnolia here, I started walking by houses that I've, I've seen and driven by hundreds of times. The lawns are all perfectly manicured. The front porches look totally pristine. The windows are drawn, and I don't have a clue who lives in there, but I know that there's hurting people in there. Well, how do I know that? Because there's hurting people in my home, and there's hurting people in every other home. I know there's hurting people, I just don't know them. And I was thinking to myself, man, like, they live in the shadow of this church. And they... I don't know them. I'm, I'm not their pastor in any way, shape, or form. Well, as I'm walking, I realized that I hadn't seen my buddy Tony. He had, he had recently had a stay at the hospital. I was gonna, my, my walk took me past his house, and so even though I didn't call ahead, pastor's prerogative, I just went and knocked on the door. That's how I roll. 
at least I didn't go straight to their fridge. Sometimes I'll just let myself in. Like at the Winnickies, I just go straight for their fridge, and then I go say hi to them. Um, but I knocked on the door, and, and I think Tony was, was upstairs taking a nap, but Karen, his wife, answered the door. And I came in, and we were talking for a few moments, and she was sharing with me how Tony was doing, and I asked her how she was doing as she was kind of caring for him. And as we were talking, I looked over, and on her piano, there was this book kind of looked like a Bible. It was a book that had been folded. Have you ever seen those books that where people take the pages and they'll fold the pages so it either says a word or in this instance, she had folded all the pages so that it looked like a heart. The pages made a beautiful heart. And I commented on it. I said, hey, that's really beautiful. And she said, thanks. The, the gals at the, at the church, we just did this folding lesson and this is what I created. And I went, that's awesome. She said, thanks, but it's not for me. It's for my neighbor two doors down. I think her name was Sarah. She had, and I'm totally wrong on that. Let's just call her Sarah, okay? Um, so, like, it's for my neighbor two doors down. Sarah, her husband just passed away. And she is hurting. And so this, God just told me this is for her. And I'm going to go take it to her later today. And that's when it dawned on me. I keep thinking of church as a place where we need to congregate people, where we need to get them in the building, because if we're going to impact our community, we just need to get packed more and more light bulbs into the building so that we can radiate more brightly into our neighborhood, and that's how we change our city. And in that moment, God did a total 180 in my thinking, and he reminded me, no, 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 this building is not the church. We are the church. Karen is the church, and she and Tony are a light bulb that has been planted on their street to be ministers to their neighbors, and they are more shepherds of their community than I will ever be because they're actually doing life together. And as I was walking back home, I said, well, what's the point of the church then? If we call ourselves Lighthouse, then the, the point is the light bulbs that are out in their spheres of influence, what's the point of the church and I looked up and I saw the power lines that were running along the side of the street and providing electricity, energy towards each of those homes so that their lights could be on. And I realized that's the point of Lighthouse, is not to be a house of light where we just have to pack all the light bulbs in here so that we can radiate brightly, but rather we are a charging station or we are an, an electrical station that helps through the enablement of the Holy Spirit equip and energize you to go be radiant light in the sphere of influence that God has uniquely planted you. And guys, this began to radically shape the way that I started thinking about every ministry in our church. Rather than Sunday mornings being the most important day, our midweek gatherings, our life groups, took on an even more of an importance because that's where it's life on life. And some of you actually came to this church community considering yourself part of Lighthouse because you started in a life group. But that's where we work through stuff and we do life together. It's imperative. I would say it's more important than even listening to me on a Sunday morning. I have no qualms saying that because I'm the one up here talking. It also made me think about some of the large group gatherings we do. The biggest one that first came to mind was our trunk or treat. Every October, we would do this thing called trunk or treat. And it was, we would, we would fill up our parking lot. Many of you would decorate your cars. We would get big floodlights and we would cook five, six hundred hamburgers. And we would provide a wonderful alternative to the darkness that was Halloween. And I, I was proud of how many people would come every year. And it would grow every single year. But I realized at one point, like, I was, I, I would get a little bit bent out of shape when my buddy Dee and Connie would be like, hey, we're not coming because, you know, our neighborhood does this block party and we just really feel like we need to be there. And I'd be like, ah, you are so not a team player. And suddenly when that paradigm shift happened for me, it completely flipped. They were ahead of me in understanding that their greatest investment is not to come in this parking lot not to pull them out of their community, out of their sphere of influence, but rather to stay there, to invest themselves, to keep their lights on, to keep their door open, and to love their neighbors. Because it's the life-on-life -life relationships that really lead to transformation. Yes, we may gather here on a Sunday morning, but we don't cease to be the church the moment we walk out the doors. It's just that the, the church leaves the building 
leaves the box so we can do what we were created to do, what we were called to do. And I mean that when I say called to do because our God is ascending God. He always has been ascending God. He sent Abraham. He sent Esther. He sent Moses. He sent Jonah, even though he went a little bit unwillingly. And then he sent Jesus. I love it in 1 John. I'm sorry, not in 1 John. In John 1, Jesus, the Word became flesh, and He moved into the neighborhood. That's the way that Eugene Peterson translates John 1.14. The Word of God became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Our God came towards us, moved and rubbed shoulders. Any of you guys have ever watched in The Chosen? It's a beautiful depiction of the way God took on flesh and entered into our reality and rubbed shoulders and challenged status quo and perspectives. Beautiful. I would highly encourage you to watch it. But after Easter, after Jesus was crucified, buried, and resurrected, Jesus spent about 40 days with his disciples. And during that time, he said, hey, guys, I'm about to go back to the Father. I'm about to go prepare a place for you in the New Jerusalem. And it's a good thing I'm going. And I can just imagine his disciples going, it doesn't feel good. That does not feel like it's a good thing. He said, it's a good thing I'm going because when I go, I will send the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the grave, the same Spirit that empowered him throughout his earthly ministry, the same Spirit that enabled him to drive out demons and multiply meals and walk on water and he bind up broken individuals and, re and give sight to the blind, that same spirit I am going to send to you. And so he says this in, in the book of Acts, in the very first chapter. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised. That gift is the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and then... Then you will be my witnesses, beginning there in Jerusalem, in their context, like Costa Mesa, and into Judea, that would be like into Orange County, and then into Samaria towards those untouchables. And I don't know where your untouchables places are. You know, in, in, into, into Los Angeles, or so, into those places that you don't want to go, where you avoid driving. And then to the ends of the earth, you will be my witnesses. We have a God who is ascending God. But he does not send us to do it on our own. He does not send us out as light bulbs to radiate light by our own strength. He says, you need my divine enablement so that you can even be any sort of light. And we need, we need the Holy Spirit's enablement or we will accomplish nothing of any lasting value. But we have a God who is ascending God. And what does it look like to act and live as sons and daughters of God? It means being people who are willing to be sent. It means being people who don't simply look at our Christian faith as coming to Kirch, to the house of worship for an hour, maybe an hour and a half if Eric gets a little windy, um, on one time a week. It looks like recognizing that I am a daughter. I am a son of God. I am fully loved by him, not because I earned it, but because he loves me that much, because of grace. I am secure in that love. And I am now called to be an ambassador of that love and that hope so that others around me and my spheres of influence will know it. Because if we just think of coming to church on a, to a building in a geographical location or, or logging in on a Sunday or sometime during the week to watch this, I know that there are some of you who are watching this much later than this conversation is happening. Just know that if that's all we're doing, we're not being the church. We're simply going to church. And that defeats the purpose. You and I are the church. And when we leave this building, church doesn't stop. When we leave this building, the church gets going. So what does that mean this is, right? Does that just mean that this is secondary and we should forego doing this and just go be the church constantly? No. 
We should not give up meeting together. We need one another. But what that does is this turns this time into kind of almost a staff meeting of the ministers. We're all ministering in our own spheres of influence, in our own right. We need to come together to be reminded that our king is still good and he is still moving and we need to hear sometimes the stories of what he is doing. And we need to be encouraged and we need to have our minds refocused back onto him because there are so many stinking things that would distract us. So many things that will distract us. Sunday mornings are a time for us to refocus back on him and to be reminded we're not alone in this endeavor. So this is a staff meeting. All of you are ministers. I'm not the only one. Jeff's not the only one. All of you are ministers. You don't believe me? Go to, John, uh, go to Ephesians 4, 11 through 15. Read that and you will have no question. You are a minister. Our job is to equip you to be able to do the ministry. But if we think that, going to ch- that doing church is simply gathering in a box, then it's almost like we, a- a- and perhaps if the church becomes a place that we can come and hide and cocoon from the big bad world, then that turns us almost into like a, a Star Wars toy that is still in its original blister pack that we're not going to open because we want it to be pristine. That's great and all. It's a nice collector's item. And there's a lot of collector's items around the world right now. A lot of buildings that are beautiful, but are no longer houses of worship, no longer gathering spaces for the church. You got to break. You got to break the box open. The church has to get outside. The light has to get out of the light bulb so it can do what it was created to do, namely to radiate hope into this world that is sin darkened. There's a lot of hopeless people around us. That's what we are going to be exploring over the course of this next three weeks or four weeks, not quite sure yet. We are going to embark on a journey of exploring what does it look like for us to live as the church rather than simply going to church? What does it look like to be ambassadors of hope into our unique spheres of influence? In fact, what is your sphere of influence? Who are the people that God has uniquely placed around you? That's what we're going to look at next weekend. We're going to explore ways that we can tangibly begin being more intentional about the way we live out our faith so that we will be a church that actually radically impacts our community rather than simply being people who are huddled together while the world rages around us. I believe that the church, the community of Christ, was intended to shape the world and to prepare it as a place for the return of our King. And until He comes back, I want us to live it out. So that's what we're going to be doing over the course of the next several weeks. I also want to let you know, and I'm going to invite Caitlin to come back up because we're going to respond in just a moment. I want to let you know that we have something that I'm really excited about that both Caitlin and I, uh, you know, are investing a lot of energy towards, and that is Love Costa Mesa Day, which is coming up on May 14th. Love Costa Mesa is something that we started doing about five years ago where we just said, hey, you know, there's not 60 different church communities, 60 different churches in Costa Mesa, there's only one. Jesus is the head of all of us. We just happen to gather in different places. Caton is just as much a part of our church as I'm a part of his church because we are the same church. We just gather in different times and in different locations. But Jesus is the head of all of us. How can we gather together and, and, and tangibly love our neighbors and that's how Love Costa Mesa came to be. We parted, parted, partnered with our city and said, hey, are there projects that we could do to bless the city? And then we also began saying, hey, we have neighbors that have needs that are hurting. Could we begin to identify the needs around us? Like I got a neighbor whose fence is so dilapidated, you get tetanus just walking by it. I can see the termite village living in there, and they're, they're, you know, they're having a party, and I'm just kind of like, they need some love. So you know, I even had a conversation. Could we re- help replace your fence for you? I got a dumpster. We can dump it in there, and we, we can knock that thing out. I got people who know what to do. I'm not the person. I've got the spiritual gift of deconstruction, but I got people who have the spiritual gift of reconstruction, thank you, Jesus, and we would love to help. But you have other people in your community, particularly some elderly people, some single parents, 
who are just trying to hold it together. And you have the ability perhaps to even identify a project. This year, we're trying to do twice of what we did last year. This year, we are looking for 100 projects all around our, our, our city where we can pour into them, where we can invite the church to come together, and together we can kind of leave some fingerprints, leave some love in our city. And so if you want to participate in your bulletins when you came in, on the second page, there's a link. It's lovecostamesa.org. You can go there either to sign up to serve on a project or to even identify and suggest a project. Now, if you suggest a project, I would probably talk to the person that you want to serve rather than just signing them, their house up for being, you know, bombed by a bunch of people. And if you're going to sign up to do that, I would also encourage you to prayerfully consider whether or not you would be willing to lead that project. We've got one here. We're going to be working on some of the back steps where we have a lot of kids throughout the week who tromp up and down those stairs and, and water tends to pool on the metal steps and so they need to be sanded down so that the, the rust, so that they don't get tetanus when they come to church. That's not what we want them to, to get. Um, so that's going to be a project here on our campus. But there's going to be 99 other projects around our, our city. And I hope that we... Lighthouse Community Church will join with the larger church of Costa Mesa in loving our city. And if you, aren't a, if you don't live in Costa Mesa, that's okay. Come and hang out with us because there are other cities right now that are also doing love their cities. What do we got? Newport Beach is doing one. Orange, Fullerton, Orange, Irvine. All of these cities are beginning to kind of follow suit of what they've seen modeled in Costa Mesa. It's exciting to see the community, the ecclesia of God beginning to work together, because that's, you know, so anyway, that's one tangible way that we have to look forward to, and I wanted to let you know ahead of time so that you could get on board, so that you could sign up. While there's still spaces in some of these things, there are low-touch things like writing letters of gratitude towards our, our frontline workers, our police officers, our teachers, and then there's also more labor-intensive things where you, you're going to get your hands dirty and you're going to be rubbing shoulders with other people and we're going to perspire together. Whatever works for you, I just invite you to join me on May 14th. And then on May 15th, we're going to get to share some stories of what, how we saw, see God move. So with that, Lighthouse, my family, we are the church. We're not just going to church. And right now, as a church community who are incredibly loved by our Father God, and who are called family, and who are, we just are going to invite the Holy Spirit to equip us to do what He's called us to do as we worship together. So would you join me in worshiping? Let's all stand and sing together. You're the God of this city. You're the King of these people. You're the Lord of this nation, you are. You're the light in this darkness, you're the hope to the hopeless, you're the peace to the restless, you are. There is, there is no one like our God. There Yeah. 
praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever bring, we live for you. Jesus, Jesus, the name above every other name, sing Jesus. Jesus, the only one who could ever say, worthy, worthy. Yeah. 
when it's all about you it's all about you jesus i'm sorry lord for the things i've made when it's all about you it's all about you jesus i'm coming back to the heart of worship when it's all about you it's all about you jesus i'm sorry lord for the things i've made it when it's all about you it's all about you I'm no longer a slave. 
child of God. I had it turned on the whole time I was down there. The moment I walk up here, I turn it off. That is my prayer for us this morning. That we would walk out of here not as slaves to fear, but as sons and daughters of God, recognizing who we are, recognizing how deeply we are loved so that we can go and do what He, our Father, has called us to do, namely to be ambassadors of that hope and that grace and that love that He lavishes upon us. Not because we're deserving, but because he loves us that much. Just like sometimes my kids do things I don't appreciate, and I want to tear my hair out, and yet I never for a moment stop loving them. I keep leaning in, and I keep loving them, and sometimes that love looks like discipline. Oftentimes that love looks like simply hugging them when they're falling apart and saying, you are my son, whom I love. I'm so grateful that God has entrusted to you, to me, and to your mom. You are sons and daughters of God, and he loves you more than you could possibly fathom. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to do a thing to be worthy of it. The cross declares that he considers you worthy of it simply because he loves you that stinking much. Lighthouse community, my family, at this ecclesia, we get to be ambassadors of that hope as we leave here. Remember, as we walk out the door, church doesn't end. It just means that the church is leaving the building. Now, I do want to let you know, because otherwise I'm going to get an earful, that I would like to invite the guys to come back next Saturday morning at 7 a.m. for our men's breakfast, because sometimes the ecclesia, the church, just needs to gather to hold one another up and encourage them. The ladies got to have their time this month. This is our time now. Coming up this Saturday at 7 a.m., come to the family room across the street. Come expecting bagel sandwiches. Is that what we're having, Rich? Maybe? Yes. Rich is right there. I'm looking right at him. It looks like steak and, it looks like steak and, steak and eggs. eggs. All right, we'll go with that. We're going to have breakfast. We're going to have coffee. We're going to have time to just share our hearts with one another. Now, Lighthouse Community Church, if, you, if you're new here, by the way, if you're new here, this is your first time here, you might see people drop in tithes and offerings in the back boxes. Please don't bother. What I would love you to do is let us know that you were here. There's some connection cards in the seat back in front of you. Let us know you were here. Let us know how we can pray for you. If you want to get involved in a life group, let us know. We'll get you plugged in. we got life groups that are going right now that would love for you to be a part of their doing weekly rhythm of doing life together. But if you could just stand up for a moment. I just want to pray because here's the thing. One of the things that today reminds me of is the same thing that Jesus warned the disciples. Hey, don't bother leaving Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Once that happens, go and be the church. Go and be the ambassadors of hope that I am empowering you to be. My prayer is, if you'll just bow your heads, I'm going to pray over us. Father God, we thank you for how... <laughs> how generously you love us. Jesus, we thank you for that tangible reminder, that cross on the wall behind me, that tangible reminder of how deeply you love us, that you would give your life for us when we were still in open rebellion to you. You would die for the men and women who were crying, shouting, crucify him. Holy Spirit, right now we declare our desperate need for you. If we are called to go be the church, to be ambassadors of this hope, we need your help because we're pretty selfish people. We're pretty imperfect people. We have wounds on our hearts. And so as we go, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would shore up our imperfections, that you would soothe the hurts, that you would give us the strength when somebody slaps us, whether it's physically or verbally, that we would turn the other cheek and that we would not curse, we would not return curses with more curses, but we would return curses with blessing. That we would pray for those who persecute us. Holy Spirit, help us to better reflect the heart of our Father into the darkness that we walk into. 
Because church is not ending. The church is just getting out of the building to go do what you called us to do. We pray these things, Jesus, in your holy name. Amen. Now, my Lighthouse family, go be the church. Have a wonderful week.